Father, as we come to chapter 11 of Genesis today and we look at this story of the uh, fall of the Tower of Babel, Lord, just uh, help us to see the, the uh, problem that these people had, a, a problem that's innate in all of us, just this innate uh, desire to rebel against you. Lord, we all have that in us. And, and here we have a whole group of nations, all the, all the nations of the world coming against you, just like they will in the latter days, Lord. It seems uh, uh, improbable, impossible, but that's exactly what happens here in Genesis 11, and that's exactly what's going to happen soon as, as uh, we see a similar situation developing in our world today. But, Lord, we want to know how this applies to us as individuals and, and, and what's at the root of this problem uh, of rebellion, Lord. And that's what we're going to learn today as we, as we look at this text and we, we look deep into the problem that these people had uh, way back here uh, in this post-Diluvian uh, uh, society, Lord. And uh, it's no, there's nothing new under the sun. The same thing's happening today. It happens in all the nations, Lord, and it happens with individuals. So, Lord, we want to we know how to guard ourselves against having the same problem that they had, uh, this problem of rebellion. So I just ask today that, again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you, you teach us the lessons that you would teach us. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to be in chapter 11 of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at the fall of the Tower of Babel. And I believe, personally, that it's one of the most significant events in the Bible, uh, which makes it one of the most significant events in all of history. I mean, it's right up there with the fall of Adam and Eve. It's right up there with the flood. It's right up there with the birth of Israel. Uh, it's right up there with the, the, the fall of Mystery Babylon in, in Revelation. And so there's just a lot of stuff that that uh, is important to understanding who we are and where we're going in this study of this fall of the Tower of Babel. Uh, Because one of the things that it does, it demonstrates its innate uh, desire in all of us to rebel against God. Now, you would sit here and say, I'm a Christian and I would never rebel against God. But I'll tell you what, we're a bunch of rebels. And, and it's in us to want to rebel against God. And how do we rebel against God? We rebel against God by doing our own thing uh, outside the will of God. And a lot of us live doing our own thing. And, and, and in a way, that's rebellion. Uh, uh, and, and one of the things that makes this significant is this is where the nations are separated. And they're separated by languages, and we're going to see that today. And I don't think that's the most significant thing that happens at, at, at the fall of Tower of Babel, but it is significant. And the other thing that uh, makes this uh, so significant is that what happened at Babel has happened over and over again throughout history with the various nations and with various individuals. And we're going to see it uh, reach a crescendo uh, when we see this one world government formed at the end of the age. And that's really where we're heading right now very rapidly in the world. We see the world raising its head and joining together against God. And that's exactly what happened at the Tower of Babel. And that's why this is such a significant study. Well, 
last week, we looked at the beginning of Babel. Uh, back in chapter 9, we saw Nimrod, this mighty warrior. Uh, remember uh, how mighty he was. You look at chapter 9 and uh, 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 actually chapter 10 of Genesis, and you look at verse number 9, and everybody wanted, you, everybody wanted to be like Nimrod. You remember that commercial years ago, I want to be like Mike? Everybody wants to be like Mike. They're talking about Michael Jordan. Well, listen to what they were saying in the days of Nimrod. They were saying like Nimrod. We all want to be like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And we learned last week that he, that that's significant that it says before the Lord because he wasn't a mighty hunter of the Lord. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Everything he did, he did for himself. And uh, so he wasn't a mighty warrior of God. And so anyway, Nimrod uh, le- leaves the land of, of uh, his grandfather Ham, and he goes and settles in the Mesopotamian uh, plain. And he begins to, to, he begins to build this great city we call Babel. And soon, soon Babel became the place to live. I mean, it's like Lafayette is the place to live. Babel became the place to live. Everybody wanted to live in Babel because there was so much to offer. And so all the peoples of the world that inhabited the earth uh, began to to move towards Babel, except for one group of people, a people that you'll see in the last part of chapter 11. We don't, we don't, uh, we won't get there today, but they were the Shemites or the Semites. Uh, They were the ones who would become the Hebrew nation, the Israel nation, the ones who through whom the Messiah would come. And so they don't engage in this rebellion, but everybody else does. And so they gather together in order to live together. And that is rebellion, because remember what God had told them. You look back at Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. This was their, this was their duty. This was their purpose. God had commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the whole earth. So what they're doing here by gathering in Babel, they're doing the very opposite of what God had called them to do. They're, they're instead of uh, uh, spreading out and filling the earth, they're gathering together. And because of that, uh, uh, because of that, uh, they were in rebellion against God. All right, so so uh, uh, what we want to do today is look at what caused this rebellion. And I believe at the very root of this rebellion was their ingratitude. Uh, and, and their ingratitude was a recipe for confusion, and that's exactly what's going to happen to these people. God is going to punish these people uh, and confuse them by confusing their language. Uh, and this is nothing, this isn't, this is the first time this happened, but this is not the only time this happened. It has happened over and over again throughout history. It's the condition of man to rebel. And the reason he rebels is because he's ungrateful. That's exactly what Paul shows us in Romans chapter. Nine. Flip there with me for a minute and go to Romans chapter 9. 
And I, what I want you to do is, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1. I don't know why I said Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 1. And it's a passage we've looked at several times, and so most of you are familiar with it. But let's, let's go over it again. In Romans chapter 1, look at the problem of mankind, of all of mankind. Jew, Gentile, everybody has this problem. American, a Russian, whoever you are, you have this problem. And look at what it says in verse number 18 of Romans chapter 1. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. How much ungodliness? All ungodliness and an all unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because of their unrighteousness and their foolish hearts are darkened, they can't see the truth. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. Look, we, every person who's born on this earth knows there's a God. Only a fool says in his heart there is no God. That's what the world, uh, the word agnostic means. It's the Greek word. uh, In the Greek, it's agnosis, without knowledge. It's a fool. Only a fool says there's no God. And, and here he gives the reason. Why, why is mankind like that? Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are, attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, now their problem The problem with mankind, the problem in Babel, wasn't the fact that they didn't know God. They knew God. Because although they knew God, here's their problem. They did not glorify him. uh, They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Ingratitude. That is the root of sin. Ingratitude means you don't recognize God for who he is and all that he's done. If you don't glorify God, you're ungrateful. And that's at the root of every sin we'll see here in just a little bit. It says they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. And here's what ingratitude is the recipe of. It's the recipe of confusion. That's what ingratitude is. If you are ungrateful, you're going to end up being a very confused person. Listen to what he says. They did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do you know what a fool is? A fool is a totally confused person. That's what a fool is. He doesn't know right from wrong. He doesn't know where he came from. He doesn't know where he's going. And, uh, and why? Because he refuses to glorify God, and he is ungrateful for all that God has done for him. And because of that, because he doesn't glorify God, his heart is darkened. God is light. And without God, there, there is no light. And so you take God out of your heart, then you're living in darkness, and a dark heart is a very, very confused heart. And that's what happened here at Babel. Uh, And it happens uh, to every individual and every nation since who refuses to be grateful to God for all that God has done for us. And 
every person and every society that is ungrateful ends up confused, totally confused. Now, let's see how that happened uh, to Babel. Go with me over to, back to Genesis and look in chapter 11 of Genesis is where we're going to pick up today. Genesis chapter 11. And let's begin with the first two verses here. It says, now the whole world, everybody, the whole earth had one language and one speech, really one accent. There weren't any Cajuns there, so they didn't have a Cajun accent or a French accent or an Italian accent or a German accent. They had one language and one accent. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east away from the mountains of Ararat that they found a plain in the land of Shinar in the Mesopotamian plain, and they dwelt there. Now, here's what happens. Here are these peoples. They're, they, they're, they're, they're united in their language. They speak one language, and they have one purpose. What was that purpose? God gave them a purpose. What was that? To be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the whole earth. That's what they were supposed to do. They were to spread out over the earth, and they were to be fruitful, and they were to multiply, and they were to fill the earth with people. But as they began to migrate from this rugged terrain of the mountains of Ararat, they wanted to get out of there. As they began to migrate from there, word got out that Nimrod had found a place as plush as the Garden of Eden. I mean, a beautiful land. And everybody wanted to live there. I mean, it was so beautiful that, that they even named the two rivers that ran through Babel the Tigris and Euphrates, which was the name of two of the rivers that were in the Garden of Eden. And that's where they get their names. It doesn't mean the Garden of Eden was there. They thought this place was so plush, and here were these rivers, that they just named these rivers after the rivers in, in the Garden of Eden. And so just about everybody headed that, headed that direction. And they all sp- spoke the same language. Now, what was that language? Some, some linguists believe that it was Latin because so many words come from Latin, they find their, they derive from Latin. I personally believe that the language that they all spoke was Hebrew. Uh, and the reason I believe that is there was only one tribe or one nation that didn't rebel here at the Tower of Babel, and that was the Shemites or the Semites. And what language did they speak? They spoke Hebrew. So their language, God didn't have to punish them and confuse their language. And so I believe that they spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, one of those two languages. Uh, you, nobody knows for sure. It's really interesting when you look at words and you look at the various words of languages, how you see uh, similarities in those words uh, in the various languages. And uh, so uh, no doubt at one point we all spoke one language. Uh, so here they are. They're speaking one language. And not only did they speak the same language, they all had the exact same nature. What kind of nature was that? It was a rebellious nature. So what happens here, they say, wow, we all want to live in a plush land. and We we don't have to do what God tells us to do. And so what we're going to do, we're going to move over there to this city that Nimrod's building. And uh, no doubt they formed a government. And this was the first one world government. And, And more than likely, Nimrod was the leader. And they began to make big plans. They were going to build a city, and they were going to build a skyscraper that would reach all the way to heaven. And, and they didn't have, God didn't have to come down to them. They were going to send themselves up to God. You see all the pride in that? All right, now, 
look at verse number three. Now, watch this phrase they use. Then they said to one another, come, let us. See the pride in that? They don't say, let's talk to God and see what we ought to do or where we ought to go. They already knew where they were supposed to go. God had told them to scatter throughout the earth. But they say, we're not going to listen to God. Come, let us. Without God, let us make bricks and uh, bake them thoroughly. And they had brick and stone and they had asphalt for mortar. So the first order of this business, uh, the first order of business of this new one world government is to make the materials that they're going to use to build this city and to build this tower. Now, it's very interesting that when they discovered the ancient city of Ur of Chaldea, the city that Abraham came from, that they, the building materials that they found that may, had made that ancient city were brick and asphalt as mortar. So this was pretty common, I guess, back in those days. And so in order to do what they want to do here, they quickly establish this strong, centralized, socialistic government uh, that controlled all the resources and controlled all the people uh, so that the people were no longer dependent upon God. They were dependent upon the government. Sound familiar at all? And, and they're dependent upon the government for their occupation and their welfare instead of re- going out and being free. And, and uh, you know, you know the truth. The truth will set you free. You, you follow God. The, and, and you're going to have a lot more freedom than you do if, you, if you're under a tyrannical government. But anyway, look at verse number four. And it says in verse number four, and they said, here's that phrase again, come let us. You see the rebellion in that? Again, over and over again, they say, come, let us build for God. No, not for God, for ourselves, a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven. Let us, come, let us make a name for ourselves. Why do we want to make a name for ourselves? Lest we have to obey God. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, you can see from this verse here. That this is, that obviously they're rebelling against God. I mean, they knew what God wanted them to do because they say, hey, we don't want to do what God wants to do. Let's build this city and build this tower lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth and we have to do what God wants us to do. And so to show God just how powerful they were as a united people, they built this, began to build, they didn't finish it, they began to build this tower that would reach the heavens which would be a monument to their unity and to their strength without God. Now, what was God thinking at this point? Oh, man, we got, they're going to build a tower up here, and, and we're going to have to deal with it. They're going to climb all the way up here, and they're going to be in heaven. I don't think he was worried about them one bit. Uh, you kind of get an idea of what God was thinking over in the Psalms. Go with me over to Psalms 2. Look in Psalms chapter 2. This is what God was thinking. The same thing he thinks about any rebellious people or any rebellious nation. Same thing he thinks about you if you're living at enmity with God. Listen to what he says in Psalm chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. He says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? You know, that's got to be puzzling to God. I mean, if I was God, I would be puzzled. I mean, if, 
if you're a parent and you raise a child, you bring a child into this world, you give that child everything, and, and you raise that child right, and that child, I haven't had this problem, I'm not saying that, but, but that, child, that child begins to rebel. I see people this, that this happens to, and that child begins to rebel. And you've got to say, why? Why? I gave you everything. Why would you rebel against me? And you see people hurt so bad by their children because of their rebellion. I did it to my parents when I was growing up. My parents raised me right. They, they, they did everything. They did every, just about everything a parent could do. And, and, and I just rebelled. And for a period of time, I didn't want anything to do with them. I want to do my own thing. I got out of there and I, you know, I raged against them. And, I, and God feels the same way. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against me, against the Lord and against his anointed, against the Meshach, his, his Messiah, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away from us. And, and how does God feel at this point? Look at verse number four. He sits in the heaven and he laughs. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. And then, you know, it goes one step further. The Lord shall hold them in derision. They hold him in derision, so he's going to hold them in derision. I mean, God's got, I mean, when he saw what was going on at Babel, he had to be laughing at these people. I mean, who do they think they are? They're so confused that they think that they can outwit and outdo God. You're really confused if you think you can do that. But I believe God's heart was breaking when they were doing this. This is just a generation, a couple of generations removed from the flood when he had to destroy everybody. And and what do they do? Uh, They rebel. And, and they rebel against a God who has shown them nothing but grace and love. It's pitiful. And they returned his grace and love with ingratitude and derision. And so the Lord says here, he shall hold them in derision. You know, y'all have heard me say this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. I believe... and this is my personal belief, that the greatest sin of all is ingratitude. And the reason I believe that is because it's at the root of all other sin. I mean, we disobey God and we sin because we're ungrateful to God. If we were grateful to God, we would obey God. If, If you don't obey God... You're ungrateful to God. You don't love God. It's at the root of covetousness. In other words, I'm not content with what God has given me. I want more than what God has given me. I don't like my place in life. And I want more. And so we covet. And covetousness leads to all sorts of other sins. Especially sins against our fellow man. I mean, murder and, and stealing and lying and all of those things are, 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 are based upon 
our covetousness, which is based upon our ingratitude because we're not satisfied with what God has given us. Remember what David, God told David when he had that affair with Bathsheba? He said, I, look at all the women you've, I've given you, and I would have given you more. Why would you rebel against me like this and murder Uriah and take this wife? Because it's in our hearts to do that. Our hearts are desperately wicked. It's at, at, it's at the root, ingratitude's at the root of idolatry. I mean, only an ungrateful person could worship anyone but God himself, Jehovah God. I mean, we get everything from God. Everything we have comes from God. How ungrateful are people who go out and worship a little statue? Or they worship Mary, or they worship the Son. Your gifts, your life doesn't come from the Son. I mean, you need the light of the sun to live, but who gave us the sun? God gave us the sun. And so all idolatry, at the root of all idolatry is ingratitude. And if any people should have been grateful, it should have been these people who lived immediately after the flood because they were spared the judgment because of the grace and love of God. I mean, they were spared God's wrath, and they were given a chance for a new life. All they had to do was just move away and, and, and enjoy life. But they rebelled against God. And there's nothing new under the sun. And this rebellion at Babel and this rebellion throughout history is just a testament of just how desperately wicked our human heart truly is. And then look at the next verse in this psalm. He says, then he shall speak to them in his wrath. You mess with God so long. And then he speaks to you in his wrath, and, and he will distress them with his deep displeasure. And that's what we're going to see happen right here. I mean, yeah, God sits on his throne and laughs. This is a laughable uh, situation, but it's no laughing matter. I mean, God's serious about our sin. And their actions, just like our sinful actions, bring about the wrath of God. And so he's going to distress them by putting them into a state of confusion. And let's look at how that happens going back to Genesis 11. And look at verse number 5. And I want you to catch this now. They said, let us, let us, let us, let us, let us. We're going to do this. We're going to rebel against God. They're thinking they're getting away with all of this. And then there's that big but in verse number five. But the Lord came down. It's like when you've done something really bad and your daddy comes home from work and you know you're due a spanking. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, the Lord didn't have to come down to see this tower. He knew all along. He knew these people were going to rebel, and he knew exactly how they were going to rebel. I mean, what's going on right here? For the sake of our finite minds, God takes an action that we can understand, and he comes down. But he didn't have to come down. And he comes down, and he looks at what they're building. 
And again, I think he laughs. Although his heart is broken, it's a laughable situation. At least let me put it that way. All right, then uh, look at verse number 6. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They're united. And all... And they all have the same language. And this is what they begin to do. This is the way they react to all the kindness and grace that I've shown them. Now, nothing what they purpose to do in their evil hearts will be withheld from them. In other words, they're united in a way that they can do just about anything they won't. That's true. You realize, and I think most of you do, we were created in the very image of God. Do you know what that means? That means that we have the ability to do just about anything that we put our minds to. And especially if we're united together as one people. Now, you just look at the explosion of knowledge that has taken place in our lifetime, and it's really reached the point where man can do just about anything he desires to do. And that's in a divided world. I mean, just imagine if all the scientists and engineers that are on this earth, especially in China and Russia and the United States and Japan and uh, these powerhouses, if they were all united together, just think of what we could do. There's no telling what we could do. But early on in this time of Babel, these people weren't divided. They were united, and there was about to be an explosion of knowledge, and they were about to do some things that were really phenomenal, and God knew it, and he had to stop it. And he already had a plan on how he was going to stop it. Look at the next few verses here. Now, I love this. Here they are. Come let us. Come let us. Come let us. Listen to what God says. Come let us. In other words, we're going to rebel against you, God. We're going to go to battle against you, Lord. Come let us go to battle against the Lord. Guess who's going to win? The Lord. Come let us. Everybody runs to this and tries to find the Trinity in it. And I certainly believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that's not the main point here. There's a play on words here. God saying, hey, all of heaven's going to come down and fix this problem. You're not going to get away with your rebellion. Uh, uh, certainly there is a Trinity. Uh, but but there's our God is one God too. And so he says, come let us go down and there, go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another. This is going to be funny now. You talk about God sitting on his throne and laughing. He's going to be able to laugh at this because it's going to be a very confusing situation. He says, come let us go down and they're confused their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So by doing this, the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. Now, what did the Lord told them to do? He told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They said, we're not going to do that. We're going to all gather together and we're going to build a city and a tower and we're going to live for ourselves. 
and we're going to live in this plush area that looks like the Garden of Eden, and we're going to make it just like heaven. And the Lord says, come let us. Come let us get them to do what I told them to do in the first place. Let me tell you what. You might think you're winning a battle against God, but you're not going to win a battle against God. In the end, God's will is always done. And that's why we shouldn't fret over the situation that's going on in our own country right now today. In the end, God's will is going to be done. And God sits on his throne now, and he laughs, and he holds the people in derision, and, and, and his will is going to be done. And he knows exactly what he's going to do to get his will done. In the United States of America and then throughout this whole earth, it's coming. Uh, because sooner or later, he's going to come down and he's going to fix this. It says, come let us... Go down and there and confuse the language that they may not understand one another. So the Lord gathered them, to, gathered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. It was over. Why did they cease building the city? Because he had confused their tongues. Therefore, the name is called Babel. And because of the Lord confused the language, Babel means confusion. Babylon means confusion, a confused people. Mystery Babylon is a confused, a really confused people. Therefore, the name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Now, just imagine the scene. I mean, here you are. Let's say we're all part of Babel. And we're, we didn't have, you don't have church when you're rebelling against God, so none of you be in church. But we're all working on this beautiful city. We're all working together to build this giant tower that reaches all the way to heaven. And, and then all of a sudden, at the snap of God's finger, the various nations are speaking different languages. Now, you talk about fear and confusion. I mean, think about it. One day... You're, let's say the, the, one language, or the, the one language was Hebrew. One day you're speaking Hebrew and you got, you know, a Hebrew-type skin. The next day you got slanted eyes. You got a little bit of yellow tinge in your skin and you're speaking Mandarin Chinese. Now that would scare you to death. And if you think, you probably wouldn't notice it until you looked in the mirror. You'd see the different look. But you probably wouldn't know that you were speaking a different language, but everybody around you went, what in the world has happened to you? And then you've got people speaking Spanish, you've got people speaking German, you've got people speaking English, you've got people speaking all of these various different languages. And man, I tell you what, everybody is afraid at that point. And they drop what they're doing and they scatter. How do they scatter? They get all the people who have slant eyes that are speaking Mandarin Chinese, and those people get together, and they say, we're getting out of here. Well, these people are going to kill us because we're different from them now. And all the people that are speaking uh, German, they say, man, we don't belong with these people. And so they head north. And everybody starts heading exactly where those 70 nations were supposed to be in the first place. God got them there through their confusion. And you know what? There's no doubt that God is the one who named this city. I mean, nobody would name their city Babel, confusion. So God gave this city that name after the fact, after he scattered them all. I don't know, tell them what they probably called the city Nimrod or something like that. And that's true also for the city Mystery Babylon that we see in Revelation. We don't know what city that is. 
We don't know what nation that is. It could represent all the nations. It could represent New York City. Certainly that would fit the bill for Mystery Babylon. But it's a city of confusion. A city where everybody in there is confused. Now, they don't think they're confused. They think they're building a tower to their, to, to their own glory. But they're really, really confused and they don't even know it. Now, does any of that sound familiar? What happened to Babel? Does any of that sound familiar? I mean, I'll tell you what, it should. Because history is repeating itself today right here in the United States of America. What's happened at Babel is happening right here. You can go back and look at our history. We were formed as one nation under God. A nation of peoples from all over the world. Just like Babel was. But we were blessed by God. I believe we were blessed by God as much as any nation, or maybe more than any nation that has ever existed on this earth. And here's what's so sad. I mean, our history, what are we, 250 years old? Something like that? In just a couple of centuries, just like a couple of centuries past the flood, this Tower of Babel takes place. We become just like Babel. Instead of being eternally grateful to God for all the blessings he's given us, We've turned into a babble ourselves, a place of confusion. We've actually turned on God. We actually are at enmity with God and the things of God. And we're saying, come let us build a society that suits our desires and our needs. Not according to God's will, but according to our own desires. And we've built all sorts of great monuments to our humanity. I mean, you look at all the skyscrapers in the, in the United States that almost touch the heavens. It's sources of pride, of American pride. You know, somewhere in the Bible, a couple of places in the Bible, it talks about those towers coming down at some point. We've build all sorts of great monuments to ourselves. These giant corporations that manufacture for us in China everything we want and everything we need, and we become slaves in a way to these giant corporations. Uh, we've, we've sent man to the moon, and we forgot who made the moon. I mean, we have built these humongous medical facilities and we've come up with all sorts of medicines to fix our health problems that are caused by all of our sinful problems, a lot of our health problems. And then we, I hear people pray and it's like, Lord, help the doctors fix this problem. Help my medicine cure this problem. We've, we've lost sight of God as the great physician. And the scariest thing is that we're building this giant centralized government in Washington, D.C. And the more and more power it takes 
the more and more freedoms it takes away from us. And people love it. They want more of it because they hate God. And so no longer are people dependent upon God for their welfare. They're dependent upon the government for their welfare. I mean, we have one congressman advocating everybody get a salary in the world. Everybody in the United States gets a salary whether they want to work or don't want to work. Well, I'm going to be one of the ones that don't want to work. I just take the salary. And I heard somebody comment on that the other night, and they said, I think it was Tucker Carlson, said, well, you know, she's saying, you know, 30000 for everybody. Well, why thirty? Why not a million for everybody? I want a million. If I'm not going to work and I'm going to retire, I'm going to need at least a million, you know, to enjoy life. Give everybody a million dollars from fairyland, wherever that's going to come from. Where does that million dollars come from? It comes from the people that are, going to, that are working, but nobody's going to want to work if you're going to get the million dollars. If you've got to work to get the million dollars, then you don't have to work to get the million dollars. Which are you going to take? Duh. You're going to take the no work million dollars. And the more and more we give up our freedoms, the more and more we give up our unalienable rights, which really aren't so unalienable. Uh, we can lose them. Those are rights supposedly we can't lose. Those are rights we're losing right before our very eyes as we become servants to Uncle Sam. And at the root of this ever-growing movement towards paganism and humanism is our unimaginable ingratitude towards God. Let us, come let us, remove every vestige of Jehovah God and Jesus Christ from our society. Get it out of our society. We don't want it in our society. And our ingratitude is a recipe for confusion. That's what it is. And you talk about a confused people. We are a very confused people here in the United States of America. We don't know where we came from. I mean, most people now believe we're just a another link in the evolutionary chain. We don't know where we're going. Now, everybody will tell you no matter what you believe, you're going to heaven. Is that so? That's not what my Bible says. There's no other name under uh, heaven whereby man can be saved. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. You must be born again, Jesus says. Everybody's not going to heaven. But that's what's being taught all over the country uh, every day. Hey, just everybody's going to heaven. Do what you want. Everybody's going to heaven. We don't know right from wrong. I mean, one week in New York, they're arresting a young teenage girl for throwing her newborn baby in a dumpster and charging her with manslaughter. The very next week, They pass a law where the baby can be born and they can kill the baby as it comes out of the birth canal. 
we're a society, we don't understand right or wrong. We've lost, we, we choose to make what's, what we want to be right, right, and what we want to be wrong, wrong. And we've got it all reversed. We don't know who we are as a society. I mean, just a few months ago, New Jersey passed a bill where the parents can choose on the birth certificate to put gender neutral and let the child decide whether they want to be a male or a female. That is a confused group of people passing laws like that. A really confused group of people. And and you think that that's just some fringe liberal group, but it's just about everybody now. I mean, did you hear them cheer in New York when they passed that bill that now they can kill babies as they come out of the womb? They cheered. And so we're a very confused people. We're saying, let us, come let us get rid of God, get rid of the Messiah. And I don't think it's going to be long before... God comes down and knocks this tower we're building right off its foundation. And what's true for America, I'm sad to say, is true for a lot of individuals in America. We're like, watch this carefully. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christian that are like Ham and Nimrod, exactly like those two guys. In other words, they know God, or they know of God, I'm sorry, they know of God, but they don't know God. Look, you can believe the facts about Jesus Christ, but that won't get you to heaven. Yeah, people get misinterpret John 3.16. You have to put your, that word really is faith. Whosoever puts their faith in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Not just believe a set of facts. If all you know about Jesus is a set of facts, you're not going to make it to heaven and, 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 and you're going to end up a rebel. And, and so I see a lot of people who call themselves Christians live their lives without any regard for the will of God. Look, if you're living your life without any regard for the will of God, if everything you do, you just do on your own, you might have a problem, a serious problem. You might know of God, but you don't know God. You might be living before God, but you're not living for God. There's some big differences there. And... A lot of us are building these monuments to our success, and there's nothing wrong with being successful in life. I think God's, a lot of God's children are successful. But a lot of people are building these monuments to our success, and we're forgetting God. We're forgetting to be grateful to God. And all of that is a recipe for confusion. And so you see a lot of people in America that are living very confused lives. Very confused lives. They're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Uh, 
every whim of their will, whatever they want to do, they just do it without any regard for the will of God. And we wander through life really wondering if we're even saved. And as a church, I think most of us, we've lost our purpose. What is our purpose? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. That is your number one purpose. That is the great commission for us to bear fruit and to multiply and to fill this earth with Christianity. And i got to tell you, we're failing miserably at our purpose. And because we're ungrateful, we've lost the wonder and, and the love that we had at one time for Jesus Christ. And, and we've lost our peace and joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. How do we fix that problem? Are you confused today? You're confused. Life got you confused. How do you fix it? The same way Elijah fixed the broken axe head. What did he do? What was the first thing he did? He went back to the place they lost it. That's what we've got to do. And where we lost our wonder and passion for the Lord was at the place that we became ungrateful for all that he's done for us. And we've pushed him out of our lives. He created us. I mean, every good and perfect gift we have comes from above. I mean... He died for us. He died on a cross for us to pay for our sins. So he shed his blood so that we could have his life in us. And we could live forever with him. How foolish it is. How stupid it is. How terrible it is for any of us to be ungrateful to God for what he's done for us. And if you're here today and you're truly grateful, if you're truly grateful to God, you're not confused. You're not going to be confused. We know who God is. We know where we came from. We know where we're going. And we know our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth with other believers. That's our purpose. That's our main purpose. Now, you can do that as a mechanic. You can do that as a teacher. You can do that as a photographer, whatever your occupation is. You can do that. But don't lose sight of your purpose. And if you've lost sight of your purpose, it's probably because you've lost sight of your gratitude to the Lord. See, we're not climbing and building some tower to heaven. We're climbing Jacob's ladder to heaven. 
And Jacob's ladder is none other than Jesus Christ. Goodness. Shame on us if we're not grateful to him every single moment of every single day for all that he's done for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you so much. Lord, for just everything you've done for us. Lord, we are so busy in life, so busy with our plans, so busy with, with the, our work, so busy with our families, Lord, that we just forget you. We forget all you've done for us, Lord. We begin to take credit of the things that we have in life instead of giving that credit to you. Lord, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. It comes from above. It comes by your grace and it comes by your love. Lord, help us to be mindful of all you've done for us. Help us to live with an attitude of praise. Lord, and when we do that, we know we won't be confused, but we'll live with purpose and direction. And Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to fulfill our purpose in life we want to be fruitful, we want to multiply, and we want to fill the Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name. Jesus, you are and will always be beautiful and lovely. gave your life shed your blood for me heaven came down to reveal your love thank you thank you I will always bring you praise for you have won my heart places of my
you're here today and you're confused. You're confused about where you came from. What's your purpose? Where are you going? And you want to end that confusion in your life. There's no better place to do that than here at the Lord's table. Because it's here at the Lord's table that we renew our gratitude to the Lord for the most important thing He's done for us. His body was broken for us to pay for our sins. His blood was shed for us so that the blood of Christ could cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that throughout, by His blood we have the very life of God in us. How can we be anything but grateful to the Lord? And if ingratitude is a recipe for confusion, gratitude is a recipe for clear direction and passion to serve the Lord wherever He wants you to serve Him, to fulfill your purpose. Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same day, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You almost stand and we'll close in a song. Thank you for coming.